the offering, Lord. We thank you for the blessings of, of giving back to you. Uh, everything we have comes for you anyway, Lord, and so we give you praise and glory for that. I pray, Lord, that we're two or three gathered, and we're here. We're here today, Lord, and, and I pray, Lord, that this message will bring you glory and honor, that you will use me to proclaim your word. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open to receive all that you have for us today. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is kind of an interesting audience here to preach to since so many people are gone. But um, I'm looking around at age. I pretty much know where you guys are in terms of your ages or whatever. So this, what I'm going to share with you right now, probably is not going to really, you can't relate to this at all. But I'm going to do it anyway because I can do that, right? And uh, that is how many, I'll I'll show up hands. How many remember Roy Rogers? Yes, look at this. (laughs) Either way. Well, hey, I heard of him. Okay, well, I feel so blessed now because, but anyway, Roy Rogers back in my day, and as a little guy, every Saturday was really so special because You'd have all the cowboy, uh, uh, you had, what is it, name some other ones. You had the long, what, long Ranger, you name them. Lash LaRue, remember him? Rawhide. Rawhide, Gene Autry, well, Gene Autry yeah, the singing cowboy. Of course, Rory Rogers was as well. But my guy, Hoplon Cassidy, right? What was, his, what was the name of his horse? Hoplon Cassidy's horse. Hoplon Cassidy. All of the all the all the hero cowboys always had names for their horses. It was Topper. I just throw that up. That that's just a freebie. That wasn't in the script. That was just it. So I know Chris and Sue back there said, "What was he talking about?" But anyway, Roy Rogers, as some of us know, he was called King of the Cowboys. And then he had on Saturday morning. And then later on in the in the fifties, he had a uh, TV program called the Roy Rogers Show. And Roy Rogers was also very strong in his faith. He was a very strong Christian. And at that time, I didn't know that because I wasn't, what I know, I wasn't a Christian. But anyway, so Roy Rogers was my guy. I mean, I wanted to be just like Roy Rogers. After I see the Roy Rogers show, I'd be out there playing cowboys or whatever and, and finding whatever for to pretend it was like my horse or whatever. And my dad, back in the day, one of his many jobs, he was a, he was a foreman on a dude ranch. So I was kind of raised for a while around horses. So I just love horses. And so that just really added to it. See, Roy Rogers, this beautiful. What kind of horse did he have? What? That's right. He had this big, beautiful golden palomino. And this, this horse was huge. This horse, I mean, there's big horses, then there's big horses. And what was this the horse's name? Everybody should know that. Trigger, of course. And so, so you picture this. You're a little guy. You're seeing Roy Rogers, and he always dressed really. I mean, he was the king of the cowboys, but he was really a classy dresser, right? Always had these fancy clothes on, and his, and his guns were always in his holster. Everything was just sparkling, not to mention the saddle on Trigger. You know, that must have been a $50,000 saddle back in those days. He probably needed the big horse because that saddle must have weighed 400 pounds. It's amazing. But picture with me. 
You had watching everything. I watched every move of Roy Rogers. You know, and it's amazing to me that when he get into the into the fighting scenes, he never lost his hat. <laughs> that hat stayed right on his head. That white hat, and he seen and that hat never, never got dirty or whatever. It was just there, Roy. So anyway, so at the end of the program, Roy Rogers used to sing a song, especially uh, in in his his. His, after his, his show in the 50s, and is written by his wife, Dale Evans, who was also queen of the, of, the, of the cowgirls or whatever. Queen of the West. That's it. All right. So are you bored yet? You probably figured this is gonna get, has to get better, right? It just has to. But anyway, used to, I used to remember this, and the song was, Remember Happy Trails to You Until We Meet Again. And then part of the lyrics was then keep smiling on or whatever. And then at the end, then Roy would say, may the good Lord take a liking to you. You know, it wasn't you. It was may the good Lord take a liking to you. And he'd be singing that with Dale, happy trails to you until we meet again. Hey, that wasn't bad. Sue, you want me up in there? Um, and and so, so that was... I used to love that, and I always thought, even as a kid, you know, may the good Lord take a liking to you. Huh? Sometimes I think we wonder if God is smiling down on us. You know, Christmas really is over, and we're, we're caught wondering what the new year will bring. Will the good Lord take a liking to me and it's going to happen in this winter sometime when I'm behind that snowblower blowing my driveway and my sidewalks. It's 20 degrees out there. The wind is just whipping. Is the good Lord going to... I just hate that snowblower. I just do. I'm getting off my chair. I hate it. I walk by it in the garage. I'm going to beat it with a hammer because I did totally dislike winter. So is the good Lord going to take a liking to me? Their Christian life is not always blue skies and warm breezes. Life comes, and it's not easy, and sometimes it's difficult because we live in a fallen world. Amen? First thought. Number one. In times such as these, Psalm 139, 17, and 18, I have rarely coughed this whole weekend. And I'm at the verge of a big cough. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, Psalm 139, uh, 17 and 18. And, and listen to this because we all know that, that King David has a, has a heart for God. God has a heart for King David. And, and David had, I call this wonderful relationship with his Lord, in spite of the fact that he, just like the rest of us, he did a lot of bad things, but he did, he did a lot of good things, and he always loved his Lord. And for me, this is just a moving, uh, you really, really read all of Psalm 139. We're just going to look at Psalm 17, verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, 
They would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Here David expresses how precious God's thoughts are. Verse 17. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. The more David grew in faith, the more he understood the value of God's thoughts. We are living on a, I believe, a powder keg of stress today. And stress is everywhere. We, you know, we find it in, in society. We find it uh, people uh, within the politics, what's going on in our government, the economy, everything. And even with families, stress is just mounting and mounting <coughs> and mounting. However, God does not simply create us to leave us alone. So God didn't create us to leave us alone. That he's thinking about this every moment of the day. Think about this. <coughs> I'm going to make it. But think about this. All you married people. When you first met your husband or your, and your, or your wife, how did you react? I can only speak for myself, but I think I can speak for all of us, guys or whatever. For guys, it, you thought of your, of your girlfriend whatever, every moment of the day, right, Dewey? You thought of every, you, you couldn't get your mind off of Becky. All right, Chris, same way with Rhea. Jan, you couldn't, you, <coughs> Jan, you kept thinking of me all the time? Okay, that's good. So you, so that's really, isn't that true? You, you just kept, you, your, your thoughts, your, everything was on, was on your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You, every moment you're thinking of that person. And that was hard for me because we met in college. And so we spent a lot of times back in those days on the phone or whatever because it was a little different college life at that point. My point is, it was, uh, jam was always on my mind. Wasn't a song out there? You're always on my mind. You're always on my mind. See, the day after Christmas, we have a lot of liberties here today. So, and, and my point with all of this is this, that David said that God's thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand. Think about that. God is so thinking of us all the time. You know, as much as we love, you know, your, your, your husband, your wife, God loves us even more. And I've always used that with my kids. And I say, you know, listen, mommy and daddy love you so much, but God loves you even more. And so let's look at verse 18 here. When I wake, I'm still with you. God never loses his awareness of us. And I want us to see that today, that it doesn't matter. God never, never loses his awareness. He knows what we're doing. He knows what you're thinking. He knows everything about, isn't it comforting to know that as I'm talking and I'm fighting back coughing or whatever, I know God's here. I know that he's aware of what I'm going through or what you're going through. To me, that's very comforting 
to know that. Because in life, you know, life sometimes is not very good to us. Sometimes we go through some bad stuff. Isn't it good to know that God is always there, even though sometimes we don't understand it, but he's always, always there. Okay. How are we doing so far? God's plans for us. Number two, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. How many times have we heard Jeremiah 11, 29, 11 through 14? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This letter was written to comfort those homesick and scared exiles in Babylon. In the midst of the pain and confusion and tragedy, Jeremiah encouraged them and he taught them as God encouraged and teaches us of the hope of what life can be. Did you catch that? I can't talk too loud. To me, that just hit me. God has, no matter what we're going through, there's more. God is saying, this is just, this is nothing here. But you stick with me, and I'll show you what life really can be like. Even in the midst of what you're going through, I'm going to show you what life really can be like. Amen? What does this all mean? Well, he talked about it. Jeremiah did. He said, well, God is, when we are confident in him, then we can call to him, we can pray to him, and he will what? And he will listen. Remember this, God will never take back or contradict his promises. However, there is what I just said, there is a condition behind what I just said. Because we play a crucial role, you know, in, in all of this. There, God is, is conditional in this sense. He's conditional in that with his people, you know, God says, I will bless you, but he blesses those who what? Who seek him. There's always that. God is not just a slot machine of answering your questions or, 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 or fulfilling all of your dreams. He wants, he wants participation. He wants, he wants us to seek him, seek his grace, seek his mercy, seek his power. So that's always conditional. Some people will say, golly, God doesn't seem to answer my prayer. I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. When God doesn't answer my prayer or things aren't going right, then I'm wrong. Where's God? What, what, am I, what am I missing, God? I must be missing something because I know it's not you because your promises are real. 
So I have some ownership in this. Amen? Amen. It is what it is. I don't make the rules. But anyway, how are we doing so far, Chris? We doing good? Okay. Well, I'm encouraged by that doing good. That was really very exciting, powerful. Boy, you're doing good, Pastor. Hang it. <laughs> oh, great fun. Um, verse, let's go to uh, verse 11. Again, for I know the plans that I have for you. God's plans and promises for us are fulfilled with his faithfulness, purpose, and hope now and forever. Therefore, we can confidently come to him. In verse 13, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Notice God did not say with half your heart. He said with all your heart. When you seek God in your easy and difficult decisions, my friends. Verse 14 says, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. Now listen to this. Please. Not a command, please. What a promise that is. Many of you have been Christians for a long time. Has it always been easy? No, it hasn't. I think I was telling Sue or somebody, some of our conversations, I remember when I became a pastor after all the things that we had to go through for that to happen. And my first church, I felt I wasn't realistic. Really, I wasn't because... I felt that this is going to be the greatest job in the world and everybody was going to be happy, be no fighting. We all love Jesus, you know, and so we can work things out very easily without a problem, you know, and from, and boy, I tell you, was God really teaching me because in this little church, I'm not going to go, because I've shared that story before, we had to do a sand in the sanctuary and so, and there was a lot of bickering over that one. And so we got through that one. And I thought, hmm, I guess things aren't always just so, so easy because people have different opinions or whatever. So I got through that. Um, and through the years, I, working through the denomination, I was one of them that would go and help churches in conflicts. And I'd always leave those churches feeling, having pain for them, but also feeling thankful that my church was not in that kind of a situation. But that didn't last too long. And what I'm sharing with you, you're kind of like, like I'm the, I'm the client and you are the counselor. So, I'm, so you're counseling me, okay? And that is by just listening. Um, I was in the church. I was doing interim church, for, you know, uh, ministry for this church. And they wanted me to come and just kind of help them uh, sort things out or whatever. And the pastor that was there 
still wanted to be there. Now, normally what happens, what I, I say to any church, when you call a pastor, encourage the pastor that was there to leave. Because if you don't, you're asking for a boatload of problems. Because human nature is human nature. And either people would defer to the old pastor or whatever. They have to leave. They have to leave. In this church, I broke rule number one. Pastor talked to me. He said, oh, listen, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. that I know the rules. I know what I'm supposed to not to do. He said, I promise I give him a word or whatever. I will not interfere in anything. I would defer any issues. People come to me. They're going to go right to you. And what did I do? I said, well, sure. Oh, sure. You can, you can stay, you know. And, and when I did that, I kind of knew that I made a, I, I, you know, that was a boo-boo. I shouldn't have done that. So in the course of that period of time, that pastor and his family, his son, was trying to get into the ministry. And they wanted their son to be the pastor of that church. Yeah. And so that what it did, it started opening up a boatload of problems. Sometimes in Satan will use pastors or churches or people and he'll deceive them in such a way. This, and I'm, there's a point to what I'm saying. I think there's a lesson here. And that is... I learned that my name was slandered. I've always, I've never ever in any church that I've ever served in have ever had any kind of a moral or any kind of issue with any congregation. But they created this group of people that followed this pastor to get me out of there. They created a narrative of lies and slander in my name, even to the point where they, they, they uh, had me investigated in terms of my ministry in other churches to, 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 to try to find something against me because they didn't find it. But you know where I'm going? There was anger and there was slander. So we left. Let God fight the battles. That happens in so, to so many people. You probably have people in your lives or whatever or situation where maybe perhaps you were slandered. Perhaps somebody has been on you or, or harassing you or persecuting you or whatever. It happens, to, it happens to all of us at some point or another. But as a Christian, how do we handle that? That's where it becomes difficult sometimes. That's why you need to have your people, you need to, and you need really need to be anchored in your faith in order to get through. But with this incident, I'm going to share this with you because I think there are three lessons that I learned from this that I want to share with you. Hopefully, it will help you if you are going through your issues or whatever, and you might someday be going through some of these things. And the first one is this. Because of the fall... We are all subject 
do evil, sin, weakness, and attacks by other people. It is what it is. It doesn't matter if you're Rory Rogers. It doesn't matter if you are Billy Graham, whatever. It doesn't matter. You will be, at one point or another, you will be attacked. Number two, what was at stake for me was not simply to protect my good name or my reputation because I'm a sinner. I sin. Therefore, I am not the measuring standard for what is pure, good, righteous, and just. That's only reserved for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who died on the cross for you and for me. Number, and because of that, this is what I've learned from that. So what is my goal? You know, I'm not naive. I know what I know what I know. I know that some people will like me and some people will not like me. Same with you. You know, I know when someone used to, when they, they used to greet people after a, a message or whatever, some might grab it, give a firm handshake and say, great sermon, pastor, right on. But then I was always aware of those who say, good message. Hmm. Good message. That one was always, well, whatever. Well, you can't win them all. But so my point, my goal has always been to build my reputation, if you will, build my ministry around my, my, my life, my walk in Christ. I'm not saying perfect, just saying trying to build my life around my walk in Christ. That should be our goal, your goal, to build your life around your walk in Jesus. And the last one, the third one is that lesson I learned just as Jesus Christ was persecuted and slandered as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am also subject to the same as you are. If you are in Christ, somebody's going to take a shot at you. It could be a whatever. It's going to happen because you are in Christ. That's just a given, given thing. Now, I want to kind of close this this morning with this thought number three because it kind of blends into what I've been talking about our anchor in suffering. I want you to go to 1 Peter 4, 12 through, through 19. And, you know, for me, this is really, especially this, this past couple of days, has really been, uh, spoke, has spoken to me. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though, suffering, uh, some, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
For it is time for judgment to begin with a family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 19, so, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter reminds us that life on this earth is temporary. And our eternal citizenship lies beyond the grave. Therefore, we must balance our suffering with our hope in Christ. I believe the first president of Columbia Bible College once said, it is suffering and then glory. And not to have suffering means not to have glory. Did you hear that? Suffering draws us closer to God. It's supposed to draw us closer to God. And I really, truly believe if you're really walking in Jesus Christ, you will have suffering. It's going to come in some form for what you are going through. You will have suffering. Ah, but let's just break this down just a little bit and put it in some practical living terms. Y'all had a great Christmas Eve? All right, praise God for that. So did we. Something interesting happened on our Christmas Eve. We were having just appetizers, which we do on a Christmas Eve with the family. All the grandkids were there, my kids, whatever. We are all there. And my oldest grandson, Jake, said, can I have your attention? Everyone was about 14 of us that were there. And he said, could... Bops and Graham, that's, that's Jan and I, could, they call me Bops for whatever reason, probably because I'm Tops. Ooh, didn't you hear that one? They said, could you and Mom and Dad, their, their parents, and, and my son, could you come and sit down? Because we have something for you. All of you, Jan, myself, and my girls and my son. And so we sat down, and they brought out the presents, the one present. And we thought, hmm, that's interesting. But before we opened up this present, Jake come up with, uh, he, he laid the groundwork. And he said, and we weren't ready for this. It was just, we're having a festive time. 
And, and Jake basically said, we want to give our parents, you know, and your, your daughters and your son, since you've never, since you had a daughter that died, and you never have had, have had a family picture together with all of you, with mom and dad and the kids all together at once. So my grandson-to-be, who is in uh, advanced photography, whatever, they put together a picture of yours truly, my wife, my two daughters and son, all the, we had a picture taken together, and right in the middle of that picture was a picture of our daughter that passed away. And Jan and I were sitting together. I'm getting to a story. There's not a, a bad thing or, oh, poor pastor, whatever. No. So Jan and I were together, and we opened this up. We were stunned. We... And I heard Jan, all of a sudden, Jan start breaking down. And she was so overwhelmed. Then I look across the room. I see my daughter, Connie. She's overwhelmed. Then I see Diane. I, trying to hold it together, you know, and... I looked at Jake and the grandkids, and they were like, they were stunned. They weren't expecting this. And they were looking at us like, what do we do? What do, how do, we, what do we do? And Jake, poor guy, he said, I didn't mean this to be a painful, you know? And so we were trying to gather, and then yours truly, your strong pastor, it just, it just overwhelmed me because what it did, it just brought back. See, we know, don't we? We know that when you lose a child, it never goes away. It gets better. Yes, you know, you get through life, but it never, ever goes away. And so I could probably speak for Jan as well. It overwhelmed me. For that moment, I thought... Because the picture that they put in there for her, for the four of us, or for the kids to be together, the four kids, that was during her last months of her life, and it was not a very flattering picture of her. Because when I looked at it, what, what really set me over was I looked into her eyes. I did not see her sparkling blue eyes. I saw death. I saw death. And it hit me. I thought, well, you know, here I have my, my kids are grown up and they have their own kids. But she never grew up. I never saw her grow up, have her own family. And so those kind of feelings kind of flooded in. And the feelings of suffering, suffering. And... So finally, thinking of those thoughts flooded into my heart. I just, I just broke. And at that point, at that point, if you can just be there with me, at that point, my daughter Diane comes across the room and just embraces me. So we're crying together. 
And then keep in mind suffering here, okay? And then in that, that brief period of time, then the grandkids caught on what was going on. And they started comforting us and their moms. Out of suffering, God's glory is revealed. That's the point here. Out of suffering, it's not, don't just look at the loss, but you need to look at what happened after the lost. The glory of Christ was revealed. That's the point of suffering that Peter's talking about. We all suffer. We go through our stuff. You, you suffer your way. I suffer my way. But the point is that in suffering, Jesus' glory is to be revealed. That's the whole point. That's Peter's point. Isn't it? Well, that's how I see it. You know, the suffering comes... And then comes the glory. Peter experienced tremendous suffering. In fact, tradition tells us that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die as his Lord Jesus did. Go back to verse 13. Peter said, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When Peter spoke of rejoicing with Christ in our suffering, He wasn't talking about reaping what we sow out of disobedience. But in this context, he was talking about a suffering that comes from taking a stand for Christ regardless of the cost. Regardless of the cost. All of us, as we go through Christmas... Remember the loss of a loved one. That comes with a cost. In my situation, we realized as a family that night that that suffering that happened on a physical level came with a cost. But to have all of your family know Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, his glory was revealed. That is it. You see, that is it. That unlocks the secret. We will suffer. Did not Jesus say, in this world, you have suffering, but take heart, I've overcome the world? Or trouble, whatever translation you want? It's going to happen. But the key is, what do you do when it happens? Christian, what do you do when it happens? That's when you draw closer to Christ. We're going to be talking about drawing closer to God. It's drawing closer to Christ in our suffering. It will happen. And for some, 
people, they don't want Christ because you tell them, you tell them that there's, it could come with a cost. No, no, no. I don't want the cost. I don't want the pain. There's going to be pain. But Peter said, but glory is revealed in the suffering. That's what makes us stronger in Christ. You need not have to suffer the way we suffered. I need not have to suffer the way you suffer. But we will suffer in our own way. But God is saying, what are you going to do with it? That's to make you stronger in him. And he will make you stronger if you will let him. Amen? Amen. I close with verse 18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what would become of the ungodly and the sinner? This this sobering statement, and I think it's a sobering statement, is telling us something, reality of this statement. Life is not meant to be merely lived in the present. It comes with an eternal ramifications. Jesus forgives and saves the repentant sinner. And because he does, that believer in Jesus Christ will experience great rewards for what? For those who are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. I can tell you right now, flat out, I rejoice in my daughter's death because out of that, it's drawn me closer to the one and it's made my family stronger in their faith. It's amazing to see, and I'm sure it's with your family as well. Boy, the other side of that coin is terrible consequences are waiting for the unrepentant non-believer. And I close with this. And I close with this. Verse 19, to me, reminds us to commit our souls to Jesus Christ in the process of becoming more and more like him. That's why we suffer. That's why we suffer in a variety of ways to become more and more like our Lord who went through a boatload of suffering. Don't run from Christ. Run to him. Run to him. So, in closing, Becca's finger is probably numb from playing, waiting for me to be done. I want you to think of this. And I want to just say this to you. I'm going back to my good old partner, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Happy trails to you in 20... And may the good Lord 
take a liking to you. He loves you so, 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 so much. And he knows your pain. He knows your joy. Let him in in your pain. Let him in. And his glory will be revealed if you let him in. So, troubles come your way, let it happen. Because Jesus will use it for his glory and his honor. Amen? Lord, we praise you and thank you so much. Lord, we're, we are few here today. But that doesn't mean anything. Because you're with us. Your presence is with us, Lord. Your thoughts are are on us. Moment to moment. Every pain, every joy, it doesn't matter. Your thoughts are on us. And I pray right now, Lord, if there's one here that just needs a special touch from you, Lord, what they might be going through, any pain, any discouragement, any confusion, whatever it might be, if they just need an extra touch, encouragement, then, Lord, you'll bless them. You'll fill them with your power. You'll fill them with your joy, even in the midst of the darkness, Lord. That they might seek and find the light of Christ. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.